Welcome to another edition of the Find Your Calling podcast. I'm Todd Wilson, the host. Each week, I interview a different leader about their calling and the backstory of their journey in discovering their unique identity. I use the Be, Do, Go framework for my book, More. Three questions. Who am I created to be? What am I made to do? And where am I to do it? This week, I'm excited to have Tom Rayner, the president and CEO of Lifeway Christian Resources, join me for an interview about his journey of discovering his calling. Welcome, Tom. Hey, good to be here, Todd. I get to see you uh, on occasion in Franklin, and uh, I'm getting to talk to you, so good to hear from you. I'm looking forward to diving into the story God's written in Tom's life and the backstory of his unique calling. Prior to Lifeway, Tom spent about 12 years at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He was the founding dean of the School of Missions and Evangelism. He spent 15 years running a consulting firm that he started for churches. He currently has a great website at TomRainer.com that includes blogs and leadership podcasts. Uh, Tom's life for the past 30 years has been about resourcing church leaders. It, it has been that, and even before all of that, I served as pastor of four churches. It has given me a great heart for local church pastors and staff, probably as much as any one thing that I've done. So that's far in my past, but at the same time, it is an integral part of how, how I've been shaped in ministry and life. Well, Tom, I'd like to just jump right in. Spend a couple of minutes giving us an overview of some of the milestones and highlights in your background. Okay, I was a fifth-generation banker. And that was my life plan, uh, at least as I, as I saw it at the time. Ended up going to uh, college and got a finance major with a economics minor and a statistics minor. Everything fit for the for the business world. Indeed, I started off in banking. Uh, interviewed with a number of banks. Ended up taking a job with a bank in Atlanta. But it was in that context where I was a banker and a young father and husband that uh, I got what I, I discerned, and we can talk about it more, what I discerned to be a clear call to go into vocational ministry at the time. I did not know how that would shape. I did not have preconceived notions about what that would do. And all, all I knew was that uh, according to my context and people I knew, I was supposed to go to seminary. Uh, so I went to seminary, spent six years there to get a couple of degrees. And from there, I served as pastor of uh, four different churches from Indiana to Kentucky to Florida to Alabama. And then from uh, the Alabama church it picks up where I became dean at uh, Southern Seminary. So there for 12 years, it's during those 12-year period that I was most active in my consulting business, uh, the, cons- the church consulting business. Uh, the world of academia and the world of uh, consultation blend well together. And so that allowed me uh, the opportunity to uh, consult one-on-one probably with nearly 400 to 500 churches, a lot more that I had some tangential role in as well. Todd, I was getting ready to move out of uh, employment and uh, part-time self-employment into full-time self-employment. In other words, I was I was getting ready to go the entrepreneur free agent route when I got a call, a literal call, uh, from a part of the search committee at Lifeway. And that in itself is a story that I could bore you to death with about how that call unfolded. It, it went from it went from resistance to strong desire and that, that evolved over about a six to seven month period. And again it unfolded where I came to Lifeway a little over ten years ago. Uh, as the ninth president of the largest Christian company in the world. We've been around since eighteen ninety one. We serve well over a hundred thousand churches, not to mention the millions and millions of individuals that we serve through our resources. 
and was not a path that I thought I would take, but now the 2020 hindsight makes a lot of sense because it merged my Christian vocation with uh, the world of business, and it's been a it's been a pretty exciting path. In the midst of all of this, I wanted to get my entrepreneur itch scratched again, and with the permission of my board, I uh, began to build a platform. My board here at LifeWay. And it started uh, in the in the blogosphere with TomRainer.com. It expanded to Rainer on Leadership, and then it's expanded even further now to a subscription-based uh, company called uh, Church Answers. And so, you know, in five or six minutes, that's the vocational path of Tom Rainer from undergraduate degree till uh, almost 61 years old. Well, that's great, Tom. Calling is not a universally defined or understood term. How do you define calling? I would say it's under it's uh, understanding and discerning God's path for my life. Uh, there are some key words in there: understanding and discerning, which means it does not it's not always clear right away. God's path. My theology as such is that I, I firmly believe that God had these plans. Uh, he knew them before the foundation of the earth, and He laid them out for me, uh, and then uh, also for my life. I don't put specificity to it. I have never said I'm called to be a pastor, even though that was the first vocational Christian position I had. I certainly didn't say I was called to be president of Lifeway. I was I didn't even know what Lifeway was at the time. But it's it's simply understanding and discerning God's path. And a path indicates we're always walking down it for my life. So it's had a lot of ambiguity to it. It's had a, a lot of clarity to it. But every time I look in, in the rearview mirror, I can see how these things did work together. Well, you have a fascinating story from banking to equipping church leaders. How would you articulate your unique personal calling and your core identity? There's a lot of experiential nature to it, Todd. I simply have to say the experiential nature of it is that uh, there was conviction about something I should do that I could not define uh, other than God. It manifests itself in a restlessness with where I was, which surprised me because uh, the banking world was something I loved, I was comfortable with, and felt like I had a decent present and future in. But uh, for me, it was a restlessness that I had to go and do something. Uh, I don't pretend for one moment that I am like any of the Bible characters who were who were extremely faithful, but there have been many times my calling has had a sense of Abraham's calling, which is go, and Abraham says, go where? And uh, God says, just go. And so that has been a lot of my calling. I know I'm supposed to stay, take a next step, and uh, sometimes I take a next step, but like Paul on his missionary journey, sometimes I'm hindered from going, and sometimes uh, paths open up. So what has transcended everything in my calling has been a conviction which manifests itself as restlessness and peace, restlessness and peace. There, there have been some markers along the way, but you asked for the overarching theme, and that would be it more than anything. Well, Tom, let's press into some of the key markers in your life. You were raised in a family of bankers. You went off to college and got a finance degree. You went into banking. You had a young family with kids. Things were good. And yet you made that big step into ministry. Press into that transition, if you would. Tell us maybe about some of the people, the words they were speaking, and how you discerned your calling. For your listeners, we need to go back to the prehistoric times when, when I was in my 20s. Now, to, to keep that in perspective, I'm talking about almost 40 years ago, 35 years ago, uh, would be the be the exact marker. And 
there certainly was no internet. Uh, so there was, uh, for seminaries, there was, there was not even correspondent courses. So if you felt in my denominational tradition, you get a call to ministry, you go to seminary. So that, that became the, the easy path. But the markers, you know, I, I gave you the general sense of, of, of a restlessness. Anytime I've done something, there's always done something in terms of a call. There's always been a push and a pull, a push away from where I am and a pull to something else. And that was undoubtedly the case uh, with banking. I became restless with banking. Uh, my, my joy was not nearly as great as it once was. My sense of fulfillment, my sense of purpose was not as great. So there was the push. But then there was the pull. I was unchurched from age 10 through age 23, 24, uh, right around the time I got married. And part of the conditions of uh, uh, Nellie, Nellie Joe being willing to marry me was become the leader of the household spiritually and found a church home, which we did. And so I'm coming out of an unchurched background for the most part, certainly certainly in my adolescence and early adulthood. And uh, so I'm in a church for the first time. Uh, so that's another kind of marker in the context. I'm, I'm seeing church life for what it is. I'm, I'm, I'm a deacon uh, by this time, and I'm involved in a lot of ministries. And there, not only was the, the push to, to leave banking there, but it's a pull to full-time vocational ministry. It was modeled uh, somewhat with my pastor, because many times uh, I would I would say I want to be like Dewey. Dewey was my pastor. Didn't necessarily say I wanted to be a pastor, but I wanted to be like Dewey. I wanted to have the type of ministry he had. There was another part, and that was my wife, Nellie Joe, uh, had a near simultaneous sense of call uh, that we would go into ministry, but. Uh, she did not articulate it to me. She said oh, many a times, if I tell you something, you're so stubborn, you're going to do just the opposite. So she did not, she did not hint until I said something explicitly. But the individual marker was the death of a five-year-old child, not my child, but uh, a good friend's child. I was visiting the hospital as a deacon, and he had just had open heart surgery, and everything went well. But the moment I walked into the uh a cardiac intensive care unit, pediatric cardiac intensive care unit. He flatlined and he was not able, he was not resuscitated. And I was there. His name was Brian Clowers, and I was there as he died with his parents, with his parents falling on my shoulders. And that was one of the most experiential moments of my life. It was one of the most uh, uh, profound, uh, non-objective, but at the same time clear sense of God's presence and without the audible voice being there I certainly sense God saying this is what you're to do with your life and work you're to minister to my people I did not know what all that meant but uh, I went home that day and uh, Nellie Joy had already found out about Brian's death we were close to the parents and uh, I said let's sit down Nellie Joe." and we did and I said I need to tell you something and she said, okay, you're about to tell me that you're called to ministry. We're going to leave banking. We're going to sell everything and uh, go to seminary. And I said, how do you know? She said, you dummy. How can I not have a call if you don't have a call? God's, God's working on both of our lives. And by the way, I've seen it in you. I can read right through you. And she said, I want you to know I put the house on the market a week ago. I didn't have them put the sign in the yard until I knew that uh, you would get right with God and articulate this. So... We gave two weeks' notice, left to go to seminary without, with the application in process, not having been accepted, went to Louisville, Kentucky without a job, uh, just the equity in my home, which was modest because of my age and some of the things that we had sold, without a place to stay. By the time we got there, they had given us 
uh, seminary housing. And we arrived in Louisville with just those things. And uh, my first job in Louisville, Kentucky, after being the youngest vice president in the history of this bank, was uh, being the janitor for Famous Recipe Fried Chicken. So that was the job I took. I just knew I had to provide for my family. And so I took the first offer I got, and uh, I became a janitor. So that those were markers, Todd. My wife, uh, the death of, uh, of Brian, the example of my pastor, and an unchurched guy... I am the unchurched guy who had no clue what to do except what everybody else did, go to seminary. And that's what I did. You know, Tom, the story of your wife seeing it before you, I hear that over and over in these podcasts. It's oftentimes the spouse who sees it first, and in a minimum, it's the spouse that affirms it. I think it's just really important that we stress that with people. It, I don't know how. I, I, no, I, I do know I could not do what I do in any of the phase of life without not only Nellie Jo's support, but her enthusiastic, her enthusiastic involvement. As you've noted, we often don't have clarity when we're living out some of the events of our life. We have to look back and have the benefit of hindsight. In the life planning process, we look for these I remember when moments. It's often in these moments that God's trying to get our attention. In stepping out of banking into ministry, that experience with the death of a good friend's child is a key I remember when for you. Are there any other key I remember whens that you can recall? Uh, one of the very specific I remember whens actually took place in the context of a seminary class. I was unable to get in the class I wanted, and so I had to take a class that was open. I don't remember the specific name of the class, but it talked a lot about what was then a very popular movement, the church growth movement with Donald McGovern and Peter Wagner. And I learned about church consultants. I learned about people who resource churches. And I got real, real excited. I ended up doing my dissertation, my PhD dissertation, in that area. It's weird. I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur, and I've never been a full-time entrepreneur but that scratched again or that created the itch that i wanted to scratch for entrepreneurism because i wanted to be this uh uh guy when i say i want to i hope i mean that aligned with god but i wanted to be this guy that could understand churches from a diagnostic point of view because that's what a lot of the church growth movement was uh, doing at the time at, at that particular time in the mid to late 80s was it was a marker that told me hey maybe at some point in my life i'll be able to be like these guys and I consumed Lyle Schaller's books, uh, the late Lyle Schaller, uh, often called the Dean of uh, Church Consultants, never required in a seminary class, but I read about him in a footnote in a textbook. And at the time, I think he'd only written about 50 or 60 books. It was before his death, he wrote over 100 books. So I consumed that. So that class that moved me in that direction, and I think it's a class on missiology, that was another marker that has me where I am today. You know, sometimes the impact that one phrase or sentence can make is profound. It sounds like Lyle Schaller had that kind of impact on you. Absolutely. I remember one, it was a question that he asked. Uh, he, he was speaking at a conference, and, and he said the question that he asked for most churches is, what year is it? And that stuck in my mind. In other words, what year is the church living in as opposed to, the current year. You know, we're in 2016, and now I'll go in churches and I'll say, uh, you're, you're in about, uh, 1998 right now, uh, mm. in, in terms of the contextual reality. So when Lyle Schaller asked that rhetorical question, at least at the conference, what year is it? That is stuck in my mind as well. There's one thing we need to make sure we don't miss in Tom's story. We've heard him mention several times an entrepreneurial dimension to his journey. Did you hear Tom's passion come out when he was telling the 
of entrepreneurial things? Could you hear his voice become more energized? You could almost see or envision him leaning forward in his chair as he talked. Clearly, entrepreneurial activities bring Tom to life. One of the best things we can do for other people is watch for and affirm the passions we see in them. Our passions are like a magnifying glass into our calling. It's clear, Tom, that this entrepreneurial gene is weaved throughout your story and brings you to life. It's part of your core identity. It is, and uh, just briefly, Todd, I, uh, before I left the church, uh, before I left banking to go into the seminary, uh, I had a customer who was on the just the cutting edge of technology. Uh, I'm not even sure what he was doing at the time, but I have a sense that uh, it was it was a part of the future. And even though I did not understand. Ninety-nine percent of what he was doing, I understood his direction, and I told him I want—I was his banker, but I said I want to come work for you. I will come at a modest salary. I'll quit my job at the bank if you'll just let me have a future with you. Uh, he turned me down. Probably had very good reason to turn me down, but he told me I saw him uh, thirty, twenty-five, thirty years after that event, and he said that he was about to give up until I came into his life and said, I want a job. He said, oh, boy, if Tom Rayner wants a job with me, he's seeing something that I don't even see. Hmm. So I was able to speak into his passion with my passion, and even though our paths did not meet at that time, he became very successful and uh, sold it. Sold his company when he was about 35 years old for $150 million, $160 million. Tom, let's press into this entrepreneurial dimension of your core identity. I want to look specifically at the time you spent pastoring the four churches. You've mentioned this idea of push-pull. Would you say that your time in the four churches fueled the entrepreneurial spirit? And were these seasons of push or pull? There were four churches, and three of the churches squelched my entrepreneurial spirit simply because I, I dealt with uh, crisis management, I dealt with traditionalism where so much of what I was doing was just, as Lyle Shallow was saying, getting us at least 20 years behind, and that was taking place there. One of the churches, St. Petersburg, Florida, was just, it was in a non-Bible belt area, Pinellas County, even though it's in Florida, it's very unchurched, and that lended itself to more of my entrepreneurial spirit, and I was able to do some things, but ironically, it was a church in Birmingham, which was probably the most resistant of all the churches, where I did something that was highly entrepreneurial, but I didn't know it. The year was 1994, and we went multi-campus. You think about that, I think the only church I knew about at the time was Perimeter uh, in Atlanta. There may have been one or two others. I didn't go multi-campus because I wanted to be entrepreneurial. I went multi-campus because we were landlocked. I just said, well, wouldn't it be just simple if we have another another site a couple of miles from us? Somehow I was able to do that. And so that was an entrepreneurial move that I did out of necessity, and the church did out of necessity. But I have a heart for pastors who have entrepreneurial spirits, and, and they, they get into churches, into situations where you know they're, they're just trying to deal with it being 15, 20 years behind, much less coming to the current day. Well, you've had the benefit of working with thousands of leaders. What advice do you have for people who are experiencing the restlessness you experienced and are not yet quite as far along in discovering their calling? Todd, I would tell them what I told my three sons. All three of my sons now are in vocational ministry. If I had had my own preference or my own choice, they, none of them would be. But I have always given them three words, and that's follow your dream. 
Now, my theology is such is that I shape that dream within the call of God, but I think if God truly gives us the desires of our heart, he is going to shape that dream within us. I don't think that we will have as much trouble finding that dream as we do following that dream. And following that dream will be risky. It will it will be uncomfortable. It won't make logical sense at times. But I, the times that I have followed my dream has, dreams have been the times of greatest fulfillment. The times that I said, no, it's not a good time and logic prevailed were the times that I have been most miserable. And I told my boys to follow their dreams and when they, they finally said, two of them, that dream involves being a church planner for one of them, another one being pastor of established church, and then for another one, uh, uh, being a leader in theological education. It's not what I wanted, but it was a part of their dream and they are being very much fulfilled. And just as a side note, all three of them had finance degrees. All three of them were bankers. And all three of them are in vocational ministry now. Well, Tom, I want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to share your story and to give us some advice on the journey of discovering our calling. Thanks, Todd. I appreciate this this, uh, new and exciting podcast. It's a great approach, and I just know it's going to continue to be a blessing and continue to grow. Well, let me encourage everyone to check out Tom's website at TomRainer.com. That's T-H-O-M-R-A-I-N-E-R.com. Tom has some great resources, including a blog and a leadership podcast. Thanks again for being with us, Tom. Thank you.